You're listening to Don't Be an Asshole, a spiritual guide, a podcast where we discuss life, music, and spirituality. I'm your host, Eric Tomyer. Well, would you look at that? It's episode four. All right. Last week, I didn't say anything about anything because I had a lot of interview with Tim I wanted to get through. But this week, we're going to continue along with the thought process of Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. Uh, Two weeks ago, I said what love God with all your heart was. This week, we're going to talk about love God with all your soul. What does that mean? I think that the soul is that thing that connects with the beauty around us. The soul, when you love God with your soul, it's like going to the top of a mountain or standing at the edge of the ocean, looking out at the vastness and the beauty and the power and just saying, wow, God, I can't believe that this was all your handiwork, that you did this. Whether you believe in the same God I do, the God who created everything, in my opinion, or there's something about the divine inside of you, standing in the face of true beauty awakens something in your soul. And I believe that letting that be a part of your life is loving God with all your soul. Speaking of soul, today is August the 17th. Yesterday, the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, passed away. Rest in peace. She's the greatest vocalist I have ever heard. Ever. Nobody even comes close. There is no second place. There's Aretha Franklin, then this big blank spot, and then you can start putting other names. Something about her voice It's not just soul music, it makes your soul cry out for the divine. So, rest in peace, Aretha Franklin, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. All right. Hey there, this episode of Don't Be an Asshole is brought to you by Brian Cutler's Actor Studio in Burbank, California. It's where I study. I took voiceover classes there. I'm taking scene work classes there. If you're just wanting to check acting out or you're a seasoned professional... Check out Brian Cutler's Actors Studio in Burbank, California. It's near Porto's. Grab yourself a Cuban sandwich and get some acting classes. All right. Here we are. I'm with my good buddy, Joey. Joey O, as I call him, because (laughs) I have a hard time with Oquendo. Most people do. All right. So... People can't tell by looking, but you're Puerto Rican. Yeah, proud. Uh, proud Puerto Rican. And when I said people can't tell by looking, I mean they can't tell by listening to this podcast because oh. they can't see you. Because I think people can kind of tell by looking. But what, this not even, wasn't even in my notes, but you shared the video. Everyone shared the video. I want to get your take on it. What's the deal with that freaking Puerto Rican video <laughs> that, that that guy in, was it Michigan or wherever it was that... Was like you're not in America. What yeah. the hell? Blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, what, yeah. what is going on with people these days, man? Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with this world today, uh, with this nation. But uh, you know, that's that's pretty a uh, pretty popular subject with the uh, you know the whole whether Puerto Ricans are part of this nation or not, or uh, whether we want to be or not. I guess we don't have a choice. But the dude's just an asshole. So that's yeah, just, that guy, he, he needs to listen to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Don't be exactly. an asshole. Exactly. He, he was, uh, plus he was drunk. He didn't know what the hell he was talking about. My wife told me, though, that that uh, he got arrested for a hate crime. Oh, okay. He got uh, 
charged with i don't know what they charged him with other than a hate crime but yeah and the officer got fired or fined or something like that that, that security guy was he an officer or was he a no he was a cop supposedly from what it from what i've read anyways that guy was the worst part of the video yeah just walking around not doing anything and i think it was in chicago too i mean there's like thousands of puerto ricans in chicago yeah. it's like the worst place not to do something <laughs> I, I know people are just idiots but i think it's good for it to be in the public eye, uh, things like that, especially. But especially since that big hurricane went through there, and things are still, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, people don't have power. More people died than what we wanted to say. Yeah, we have a certain political leader who his, well, you know, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Enough said. Yeah. Enough said. <laughs> you know, speaking of Donald Trump, I, most people, first of all. I need to stop saying you know so often. I did that in the last interview, and my wife gave me the runaround for it. <laughs> I've got to learn to speak more better. I get what you're saying when you yeah. say you know, though. You yeah, know. I know you know. You know you know? I know. <laughs> it, it, it's insane. When Donald Trump said, well, now it's would or wouldn't, I'm like, come on. That dude don't know what he's talking about. He's talking that, out his ass. That that's the most semantic thing I've heard since Bill Clinton said. It depends on what the word is means. <laughs> exactly. Uh, would or wouldn't. That doesn't matter. The fact is, the matter is he he disparaged the uh, the intelligence community, and then he said Putin strongly denied, and I believe him. I believe him. Yeah. You know who else strongly denied? O.J. Simpson. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. That dude is, he doesn't know where he's going. I mean, he, did, he talks badly about everybody in his cabinet. Every, you can't yeah. trust a word at, he says. At least Putin didn't stand up and say, I will not rest until I find the real person who has, <laughs> uh, who has made the America so not so great again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will not rest. If it does not fit, you must quit. <laughs> Unfortunately, these are the people that uh, a lot of... Uh, evangelical pastors uh supported yeah you know during the primaries a lot of these same people were anybody but trump people yeah uh i mean they who's the dude from texas uh ted cruz, cruz. ted cruz. cruz yeah is he from texas yeah yeah he's, the, okay. yeah he's a texas senator most of the evangelicals wanted him or ben carson <laughs> yeah um, uh, yeah and you know i thought ben carson was a nice enough fella but um i don't think he would be a very good president of the united states and i don't think ted cruz would be a very good president of the united states i i i would have voted for marco rubio i think possibly over hillary clinton or donald trump the, the Democrat, now, I really don't want to get too political, so we're going to move on pretty quick because gotcha. this podcast, I, I don't want to alienate everybody right off the bat. I think the Democratic National Convention shot themselves in the foot. Definitely. I, I do think Hillary Clinton would be a better president than Donald Trump. I don't want to make any bones about that. Given the choices, I would go with Hillary Clinton. Better to what extent, you know? Yeah. How far can that, how much better could it get? I, I know. How much worse can you be? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's not to say that I'm more left-leaning or more right-leaning, um, but I think the Democratic National Convention saw that Donald Trump was going to be the Republican, 
and let's push because anybody can beat Donald Trump, right? That had to have been their thinking. That's the thought. That's let's what... let's get the first woman president ever. And I want there to be a woman president. I think America needs a woman president. But Hillary Clinton has been disliked universally in certain areas of the country since her husband ran for president the first time. For a long time. And it's not her fault. It's nothing she did. It's this... I remember listening to old guys back in 1992, 1993, and when I was, I mean, I I was 18 in 1992, and I remember someone like, well, I don't care too much for that President Clinton. I don't like her husband none either. <laughs> and I was like, all right, what's uh, what's that about? Um, <laughs> Because they thought she was controlling things, they thought she was too tough. Yeah. You know that because every first lady before that wasn't really involved politically. They were involved in social things. They were to smile and wave at least since uh, Roosevelt. You yeah, know, because she was she was you know involved. But yeah. then since Roosevelt, all the way up until Hillary Clinton, it was more about just smile and wave, dear, smile and wave. Yeah. And so she was strong. Um, you agree or disagree, that doesn't matter. The, the fact that she was so universally disliked um, in places like Oklahoma, Missouri, Kansas, Texas, even Arkansas, where they were governors, it made it almost impossible. It was an uphill battle. And if the only two people the Democrats could put up was someone that was universally disliked in half the country or a 70-year-old socialist, I was like, we can do better. You know that that's for damn sure. Um, I've I've been an independent voter since 1992. Um, I haven't been a Republican or Democrat. Being here in LA and then seeing how the right has shifted in the last two years, it's really pushed me further left than I've ever been in my life. I think a lot of people are finding themselves independent now in today's climate, where there's so many different beliefs, so many different views. When you have people running like Trump, you know, you, you don't necessarily want to side with your party at that point. So what do you do? And you find yourself relating more with Democrats. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people are just finding themselves kind of in limbo. And yeah, I grew up in a church that was like pretty politically active, which I didn't think we were supposed to be. But we always had politicians attend church and stand up and yeah. wave and everything. And it was a church of several thousand people. So it wasn't like it was coming to a town of 700 in Oklahoma or even a church of 700, which is a big church. Yeah, It was a church of 5,000. So it gave some credence to whatever candidate showed up and stood up and waved. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I think I'm going to move on from politics. Uh, I want First of all, I just want to <laughs> say that whoever you voted for... That's in the past a couple of years now. It's okay to look yourself in the mirror and say, maybe I made a mistake. It's okay to look yourself in the mirror and say, I think maybe I'm still right. I don't think too many people are going to do that, though, especially people that voted for uh, Trump. They're just going to, you know what, not even Trump, people that voted for Hillary also, they're just... They're just going to stick to their guns. Nobody wants to look wrong. Nobody wants to. Everybody wants to point fingers. Everybody wants to cast blame. And yeah, so. I think the older I get, the more okay I am with being wrong. It's not everybody. You should is, be. You should be. Not everybody's like that, and that's okay for them. For me, I knew I was right when I was twenty-four. I absolutely knew I was right. I couldn't be wrong. If I believe something, I mean, it's, I believe it. Yeah, yeah it's got to be the truth. And yeah. I'm gonna prove you. I'm gonna prove that I'm right. When I got into my late twenties, into my mid thirties, 
I started thinking, gosh, I think I'm wrong, but I couldn't let anybody know. That, no. was, that would have been too embarrassing. I just maybe silently changed my mind. But now that I'm 43 years old, uh, I'm not ancient by any means, but I definitely am getting older. I, I work out some of my beliefs and some of my thoughts and some of my convictions out loud right now. I, I might say something and then change my mind halfway through changing it. I remember when, geez, who's the guy from Massachusetts who ran against Obama? Uh, Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, yeah. Mitt Romney. Uh, he was called a waffler because he had things where he changed his mind a couple of years apart. And people are like, oh, gosh, he's a waffler. He can't make up his mind on stuff. I've changed my mind in the course of this interview. I, I would hope so. I would yeah. hope so. I mean, if you're the same person that you were 20 years ago, then yeah. you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems. Uh, the other day, I said this in the last interview, but I was talking to, to James, and I, I said in the middle of something, I'm like, I think people are more in love with their theology than they are with Jesus and with the people that God created. And then he was about to disagree with me, and I said, you know what? I misspoke. I think people are more in love with their doctrine because theology, everyone has a theology. Yeah. And so theology is just what you believe about God, but yeah, you're, you're definitely going to, you're, you're going to start up something now with that. Cause that, that is for damn sure, at least in our experience or my experience, uh, when it comes to churches and it comes to your doctrine, and it comes to your fellowship, or your denomination, that's their, they, they are gun ho about their doctrine. I think doctrine is one of those things that we can, that should be pliable. It should be pliable because, yes, we've made the leap to believe that God exists, that there is something bigger than us, and we have narrowed that down into the evangelical doctrine that we have. And I, I and this podcast is for anybody struggling with any kind of spirituality or struggling without any kind of spirituality just to ask themselves why they believe or why they don't believe. That's, yeah. that's the purpose of my podcast, um, to have fun, have good conversations, and then to get people to ask, why do I believe this or yeah. why don't I believe this? And so it doesn't have to even be what I believe, which I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I was a pastor for 18 years. More people need to be open to their, their theology being shaped as time goes on. Right. Um, I think when I was in undergrad at, at the college we both attended, um, one of the professors said something that will forever shape me that will probably, if I mention his name, probably would get him in trouble. But he said, if you're, if you're truly going to do theology, if you're really going to come up with beliefs, you have to be willing to accept what the text says, mm -hmm. even if that means your doctrine has to change. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, we have, we have the Bible and we have what we believe about the Bible. Yeah. And we have people over thousands of years who have said what they've said about the Bible and I, I believe in this great big God, but I also believe because I've made the leap into believing there's a great big God, maybe the hundreds and thousands of people who have shaped my beliefs in theology, somebody might have missed it. Yeah. Some, <laughs> a lot of people have missed it. Someone might have said something that's wrong. I still believe that the Bible is the word of God. Someone else might not believe that, but I believe that the way it's been interpreted and twisted and, and shaped... And not twisted for evil intentions. No. You know, some people have done that, but but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, maybe you just got it wrong. Maybe God looks different completely yeah. than the way I've interpreted that. Definitely. And I am open to that possibility. I believe what I believe, and I'm not going to say whatever anyone else believes is fine because all roads and blah, blah, blah. 
I just think that we have to, if we make a leap to believe that there's, because that's a big leap, first of all. There's yeah. a giant bridge of, of, of faith for anyone to go from uh, believing only what you can see into believing something that you can't see, this yeah, whole spiritual huge. thing. It's a gigantic leap to go from no belief to belief. And so to, to beat someone over the head and say you have to believe this way, that doctrine is what keeps... That's why I think the millennial generation and the next generation is having trouble being involved because we've made it prohibitive. Yeah, we've made it dogmatic. We've made it... You know, you can't change. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. People forget that there's you cannot 100% take your biases or take your experience out of interpreting text, right. interpreting scripture. And so no matter what you do, you're going to be biased. You know, that's why the whole famous thing of history is his story. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that whole thing, no matter what you do, it's going to be biased. And so at some point you have to consider or reconsider, reevaluate your your views, and say, "Hey, maybe at this time that I formed that doctrine or that belief or accepted that doctrine or belief, I would I had certain things going on in my life that made convinced me that this is the way to best understand this part of the text or this belief. And now at this point in my life, maybe other things are influencing or shaping how I should better understand that text. But you know, nobody is a hundred no no person." can 100% take themselves out and be ob- objective about how they understand scripture. And so to come be totally opposed to everyone else with opposing beliefs, you know, there's always the debate between Armenian and Calvinist, and we're always making fun of each other and right. all of that type of thing. And when there are the people who don't even use the Bible at all. Yeah. We have a bunch of religions out there. I Here's the deal. There are some people that are really spiritual but in what I grew up thinking were kooky ways, you know? Yeah. They're like, I'm not very religious, but I'm spiritual. And I used to say, oh, uh, I'm not completely honest, but you're real interesting. And <laughs> But I've gotten to the point, okay, there's, there's, my story is no more ridiculous than their story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just, I happen to believe that mine's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I talk about this all the time. Like, we talk about how crazy, uh, you know, other religions are, but... I mean, if you're real, if you weren't raised in a westernized Christian, quote unquote, Christian nation, Christianity sounds crazy. I mean, even in Christian history, you know, they thought when we said we were taking communion, drinking his blood, they thought we were cannibals. They thought we were having orgies when we got together for fellowship so much. You know, it it really sounds crazy, you know, so you have to really put yourself in. I mean, everything from the the virgin birth to the crucifixion to the resurrection. I mean, hell, none of the disciples believed in a resurrected Savior until after they saw him. Yeah. Thomas gets a bum bum rap for being doubting Thomas because he was in the same boat everyone else was. Yeah. He just happened to be out at the Piggly Wiggly picking up some some kosher... potato chips yeah. for for the barbecue that was getting ready to happen. So he missed Jesus showing up and then everyone else was like, "Oh yeah, now we believe in him." Yeah. And then, then he he's like, "Nope, I don't believe in that." Exactly. Peter and didn't believe, none of them believed. Nobody believed in a resurrected savior until they saw a resurrected exactly. savior. Exactly. So anyone else who doesn't believe what I believe, people are this is something that I've I've said for years, people will never believe what you believe until they've experienced what you've experienced. Exactly. At what point were you first aware of spirituality? First aware of spirituality, um, you know, I was raised nominally Catholic, like my grandmother taught 
catechism and communion classes and so i was i was kind of raised in catholicism to a sense i was kind of aware of it but uh, it really wasn't personal it really wasn't i didn't really have my own belief in it it was just kind of customary mm-hmm. you know this is this is what we did and um you know i could i did my communion i did my confirmation those types of things um but i would have to say my first time really aware of spirituality is just prior to me having a relationship with uh with god and coming into christianity which was right on the cusp i remember it was march 19th 2003 um right before the war in iraq how old um, were you then i was 18 okay i was 18 i had just turned 18 i was you know my birthday is march 2nd so it was what two weeks prior to um uh, about a year prior to that i had met my wife and i was doing community service in a church in Barstow, and I had been introduced to this community, these these people that essentially had, at the end of it, had huge flaws, but initially they embraced me, and um, I started to sense that there was something different. Mm -hmm. Um, There was something different about what they believe and how they lived that out. And then uh, when I first came into actually believing myself, March 19th, it was the war and they were talking about the draft and there's going to be people that were going to be possibly drafted. We didn't have enough soldiers. And I don't know why I heard that at some point I heard it. And with my background in, in Catholicism, I knew there was kind of a heaven and a hell. And I was just kind of like, well, if I get drafted, I'm going to, uh, I don't want to go to hell. So, you know, maybe I need to get right with God. And so that matched with a bunch of other personal problems I was having with my wife or my girlfriend at the time and uh, friends in the neighborhood who had turned their back on me. I just figured there was uh, that this thing that I had experienced with this other community offered something that was personal and real and enlightening and bigger than I had ever experienced. And so at that point, I I kind of felt like uh, came into this awareness of spirituality. And you grew up in Barstow? No, I grew up in San Bernardino. I grew up in the IE. Okay. I mean, we're in LA, but I grew up in the IE, the Inland Empire. I'm very proud of that. All right. (laughs) I was in Riverside today. Oh, okay. There you go. Had an Uber ride out to Riverside. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, the Inland Empire. Got to be proud of that. Yeah, man. I, I've got I got a lot of friends out there. The gentrification of L.A. is pushing people back out there again. Yeah, I'm talking about trying to buy stuff out there so that when it eventually starts to pick up after the market crashes again and and everything picks up, maybe I can make some money. I yeah, bought some houses out there. So yeah, absolutely, man. All right. Well, speaking of Uber. You you drive for Uber right now? Yeah, I drive Uber and Lyft. Yeah, I just do Uber now, and that keeps me busy. I don't, man. Really, I feel like it slowed down a lot. It slowed down a lot, but I still get over a hundred rides a week. Yeah, yeah, I do about ten to fifteen a day, and yeah, so yeah, about a hundred. Anyway, I was out in the Riverside today, but it's not the furthest I've gone. No, me either. Yeah, well, how far? What's the furthest you've gone as an Uber driver? Uh, Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara. Yeah, oh, that's two way hours. Up there. Two yeah. hours. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been to uh, almost to San Diego from yeah, Santa Monica. Yeah, about the same distance. Yeah, yeah. So, what's the most interesting Uber story? Most interesting passenger, good or bad? Something that's happened that's like it could be good, it could be bad, it could be funny, it could be. Well, it's just funny. I think um, you know I haven't had too many bad experiences. You hear all these experiences about Uber drivers and Lyft drivers, will uh, where you know someone gets hit or 
or something like that. The driver gets assaulted or something like that. I wish somebody would. I'm not. I'm a pastor, but I'm not that. I'm not just gonna take it. But uh, my most interesting story is uh, I picked up uh, this girl the Highland Park area, and it was an early morning Saturday morning. And usually Saturday mornings, you're picking up a bunch of people doing the walk of shame or mm-hmm. or whatever. They come out with their hair all raggedy and shoes in hand and smelling like day old beer. And and she comes out, she gets in the car and, uh, you know, you'll make a casual comp- uh, conversation. How are you? You know, how's it going? She was like, it's not that great. And I was like, all right, this is going to be interesting. And she was just like. And she just goes on a rant. She just starts to lay out the story from what happened last night. And I guess she was at a at a bar with her friends. And she sees some guy. And they start to flirt and whatnot. And the guy approaches her. And then uh, they start, I guess they hit it off. And they were going to go back to his place. So, But he tells her that, you know, I got a girlfriend. But she's okay with this. And so, <laughs> so he says, see, so he tells her, wait, hold up. Let me call my girlfriend because we're going to go back to my place. Let me call my girlfriend to tell my girlfriend not to come home because I'm going to be with this other girl. <laughs> and so, so she do, he does, he calls her. His girlfriend tells him, that's fine. I'll stay out all night with my friends. You do your thing. Well, I guess this girl that I picked up went home with him. They had their fun. And in the middle of the night, this guy's girlfriend shows up. Mm-hmm. And while they're still in bed, and she's pissed at him for what she already condoned, uh, allowed him to do. Of course then, she is. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and so she, and, but instead of interrupting them, she just goes into the living room and sleeps on the couch. And so this girl's telling me, and then the guy gets out of the, the room with the girl that he picked up at the bar, goes into the living room, sleeps with his girlfriend, and leaves this girl in the room <laughs> with her. And so she's telling me that she's laying there in the bed all night, all weirded out, like, what do I do? And then eventually she gets up in the morning, and the girl flips out, and it goes off, and it, it was just crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's anything as a working, open relationship. <laughs> hey, I, I, I don't know. I don't know everybody. I don't know. It wouldn't work for me, man. No First of way. all, I, I like monogamy. Second of all, I, I'll mess around and hurt somebody. <laughs> I can't, I'm too, no, can't do it. It's not like public, but it's not uh, a secret. I've only ever been with my wife. We've been married for 20 years on Tuesday. Wow. So she's the only one for me. Yeah. And, and I don't even know what other people are like. I don't know if people are different down there or, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I have no idea, you know? Yeah. So I, I just, I'd rather not find out, yeah, exactly. you know, I, exactly. I, I, I like that extreme mystery that yeah. some people are just not there for me. Yeah. But um, not just that. I mean, it's, it's also just simply like, why would you want to go through that again? And, and that's not to throw shade or to, the being, you know, that your spouse or whatever, but it's just like you've invested so much, you've gone through highs and lows. Why would you, yeah, yeah. want to involve somebody else? And I've in been trained, like yeah, you know, and, <laughs> and she has too. And the thing is, I, I have people, I have passengers all the time. I, for the first year, I just drove like 5 p.m. to 3 a.m., hardly any days at all. I switched to days about a week and a half ago. I'm seeing how that works. It's exhausting. Yeah. Because um, I'm just so used to the, the graveyard. Um, but I always hear, you know, guys like, she's been on three dates with a the guy. They haven't slept together yet. What's the deal? And stuff. And I'm like, three dates? What, what is up with these people? Hey. Now, my most interesting, I mean, 
I this is a good one. I don't have any. I've had tons of bad stories. I've had people throw up in my car. I've had people. See, uh, I can't do it. I've had uh, someone start to give someone a blowjob in the backseat of my car. Um, <laughs> wow. Good I, night. Wow. I know. I'm just like that. That's, I, that's, the, where, that's where my kids' car seats are going to go, dude. <laughs> you can't do that. You know, that's um, not okay. Yeah, that, um, that's exactly why I don't drive nights. But the very best, it was late at night. I picked up this, he's got to be 60 years old. Uh, and he plays bass in a punk rock band that I'd heard of. I can't remember what it is, but I heard of it when he told me. And uh, they're traveling again, you know, because they probably spent all their money on, on booze and drugs back in the day. <laughs> but they're, they're doing their thing. But he's from Ireland. And he kicked around England in the in the early '70s with his band, and when they were still struggling. And the thing is, uh, the London music scene is a pretty small community, so the, all those legends just hung out: Mick Jagger, Rod Stewart, David Bowie, John Lennon. Um, and one day, he happens to see George Harrison at a clothing store. George Harrison of the Beatles. Wow. George Harrison was his idol. And he was like, if I don't go up and talk to this guy, I'll regret it for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you also think, what do you say to George Harrison? Yeah. You know, he's one of the four most famous people in the world. world. Yeah. There was no political figure. There was no musician. There was no movie star more famous than the Beatles. Yeah. Whether you think they're overrated, whether you think they're good or not, or whatever you think of, nobody was more famous than the Beatles. Icon. So he walks up to George Harrison. He's like, uh, pardon me, Mr. Harrison. I, I wanted to let you know that um, you're such an idol to me. Where do you come up with all these accents, bro? You got them all down. I'm a professional voiceover artist. <laughs> I, I, I just really wanted to let you know that uh, you're very uh, you're very influential to me and I wouldn't be playing music right now if it wasn't for you. And I just you probably heard this a million times before, but I just wanted to tell you that I love your music and you've, uh, you're a big idol to me and thank you very much. And George Harrison turns and looks at this guy. You know, and he introduces like, my name is Terrence. And, uh, you know, and so George looks at him and says, uh, yes, Terrence, I've heard it a million times before, but I've never heard it from you before. So keep up the great work, man. Wow. And I was like, holy. Wow. What a moment. That's Something awesome. to hold on to for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah, I've heard it a million times, but I've never heard it from you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Joey is a pretty smart guy. And I look forward to finishing this conversation next week with my good friend, Joey Aquindo. All right. <laughs>